You're listening to The Current Reality Podcast, where we talk about staying anchored in biblical reality within the current of modern culture. I'm Michael Cleary, and with me is Wade Thomas. We're on staff at Christ the King Church in Cincinnati, Ohio, which makes this podcast possible. Send us questions or feedback to currentrealitypodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget, if you are so kind, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you do this. Uh, I don't have a I don't have one to read this week. So Can I ask real quick, are you ashamed to say we're from Ohio? Considering I'm not happy about it. Okay. I kind of uh, wanted you to say like Cincinnati, Iowa. There is yeah, there is another Cincinnati. Maybe we could uh, claim that we're in Cincinnati, Iowa, but what are they like? 400 people that live there or something? Yeah, yeah. That's Small town. Right. Well, issue one, if you guys don't know, look it up if you don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're, Ohio as a state is uh, in the doghouse for me at the moment, right. uh, which is putting it lightly. I'm we not... deserve to lose to Michigan if and when. Yeah, that there happens. you go. Um, one other thing, King's Domain Conference we got coming up in April 18 to 20. Go ahead and register for that. Um, the conference is Gendered Virtue. And we've got, um, I don't have to remember this off the top of my head, Michael Foster, Joe Rigney, Toby Sumpter, Shane Morris, Matt McBee, and Michael Clary. That's your speaker lineup. Mm. Um, and it's, um, it'll be here in Cincinnati, and it'll be, uh, it'll be excellent. I'm really excited about it. But go ahead and register for it so we can um, start to make preparations uh, and get some, um, just, we don't want to wait until the last minute to, to be planning this thing. All right, today we're talking about apostasy. So uh, de- like a pasta, like apostasy. something I could order yeah, that, at Olive Garden. That's exactly right. It's okay. a, the apostasy is something you would order at Olive Garden with your free breadsticks. Um, you ever heard of Fazoli's? Uh, yeah, back in the day, we had a few here in Cincinnati. Yeah. before you showed up, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah, I had Fazoli's for the first time in like a decade. Um, a there's like weeks one in Columbus, Ohio. There's one left that I know of. Yeah, still. real Italian, real fast. Mm-hmm. At least that was what they called it back in the day. Yeah. Um, so apostasy well, it has two definitions. One is a rare Italian dish when it basically chooses to no longer be Italian. Yes. That was a bad joke. Uh, forgive me. <laughs> <laughs> and the other definition is like rejecting the Lord, deconversion, uh, or as some, some say, exvangelicalism or something. Mm. Uh, but it's been a recent trend in the last few years where Christians will abandon their faith. Um, and of course, they try, to, they try to put a nice spin on it by calling it, you know, deconstructing, which sounds... Um, it sounds a lot more like I'm, I'm doing something, you know, I'm, I'm reflecting mm-hmm. on my life and I'm doing something positive. Gives it a nice sheen of philosophic, philosophical uh, credibility. Yeah. I'm doing something deep that, that you would only do in like a fair trade coffee shop <laughs> with expensive jeans on. Like, no, you're just, you want to look at porn. <laughs> well, deconstructing, I mean, that, I mean, you destruct something. Yeah, you don't deconstruct something. That's a good point. Yeah, um, but they it, don't want to say I'm, I'm I'm destroying my faith. I'm imploding my faith. Yeah. yeah, deconstruct makes it sound like I'm actively doing something here. Yeah, I woke up early to get deconstructing. <laughs> yeah, woke up at six a.m. You know, had a protein bizarre. shake and started deconstructing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and at seven a.m. Pilates. And yeah, at eight a.m. Starbucks. When in reality, I mean, yeah, this is this is basically. Uh, it's it's spiritual laziness or apathy usually is a cloak for sin. I'm sure. We'll get yeah. To that. Well, yeah. So basically, it's we probably all know the phenomena where you know somebody and they they're a Christian. They walk with God. They seem like they're solid, and then something happens where they 
fall away from the faith. And it could be this slow thing where that just sort of happens gradually. They stop coming to church and then they stop, you know, you know, participating in Christian disciplines. Mm-hmm. Or they they do a lot. What, what seems to be more the trend nowadays is they they become an evangelist for their their deconstruction where they have to it's almost like they have more evangelistic zeal about their deconstruction yeah. than they ever did before they did it for the christianity they supposedly believed um so yeah, be- it, it is funny that no one does this quietly yeah it's like everyone does this in like some sort of performative yeah like let me show you the way that i am deconstructing and yeah. we're supposed to like find you deep and well, it's kind of like the way people, if they're going to take a break from Facebook or something, they have yeah. to announce it. Right. I'm like, I'm going to be off Facebook for the next three months, and I will spend this in quiet meditation in the wilderness. Yep. As and 99 month. times out of 100, I didn't even know you were on Facebook. Like, <laughs> yeah. This is the first time you're on Facebook? It's like, why do why do you need to announce this? Correct. It's not like everybody's sitting around thinking, like, yeah. man, where has Wade been? Yeah. Like, why is he not on Facebook these days? Yeah, I think David French did that on Twitter a couple weeks ago or something. Did you see that? Oh, I did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Speaking of, yeah, well, I, know. Well, I don't know if he's... Yeah, he's not deconstructed, but he's... Uh, he's certainly, he's certainly uh, questionable. But people... So a lot of times what people will do is they'll try to retain the familiarity and comfort of their Christian faith, but they lose the faith part, and yeah. they retain just the comfort and familiarity. So the, the example of this that is... It, it's big on my mind. It's recent. Is Derek Webb? If you don't know who Derek Webb is, uh, so Derek Webb is an icon of my, you know, college Christian mm-hmm. years. So the the band, uh, Cadman's Call, big deal. They were they were huge. I remember first time I heard Cadman's Call music. I was like, man, like this is legit. Like, yeah. I loved the music. And Derek Webb, he wasn't like the main front man, but he was a front man. So like the guy that did most of the lead was a different guy, and Derek Webb was kind Man, of the, I don't think I remember that. You have a better memory than me. I'm sure you're right. I only remember Hope to Carry On. That's the only song yeah. that well, I Well, Derek Webb was not the lead on that. Man, I guess I thought he was. I've yeah. never even seen the video, I don't think. Yeah, I barely... well, I just I recognize the difference in the voices. Okay. So Webb, he had this real earthy, grovelly, kind of gritty yeah. edge to his voice, and the other guy's voice just has this uh, pure sparkle kind of quality to mm. it. And there was also a woman. And I think the, the main guy and the woman, I think they're married. And then Derek Webb was was another guy. So it's like, you know, uh-huh. uh, it, it wasn't like they did all harmonies, but you would just have different yeah. different lead singers for different songs, and the other guy did most of them. Yeah, I mean, Bare Naked Ladies kind of did that. In did the they really? Realm. I mean, well, there were two, two different singers. Yeah. I did not know this. Yeah. Can we say Bare Naked? I don't know if I can say that band it's name been, in a Christian podcast. Was it podcast. one week since yeah. you something oh, yeah. something? <laughs> Uh, pinch me. Yeah, that was another one they did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah those two different singers. Yeah, I hate that song. Is that One Week? Is that the name of the song? One Week is the one where they're kind of like, he's almost like rapping. I hate that song. I never liked it. Da 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 Yeah, and I think it's so repetitive and monotonous. It's like, I feel like it's Chinese water torture, just like being pelted with this staccato. I didn't mean to like open up a wound. Yeah, well, well, thank you. I'm sure those guys started out deconstructed. So. <laughs> they were never constructed. <laughs> yeah. Well, and so Derek Webb, his um, I'm trying to think of. So he well he went solo. Um, the the band kind of I guess they kind of broke up. Mm-hmm. But Webb did a solo thing, and he did an album called "She Must and Shall Go Free." Yeah, and that was like for me, good in 2008 or so when I first. That was how he got on my radar. My brother was super. One of my brothers was super in him. 
he was like the thinking man's singer songwriter. Yeah. I mean, he, he was he was sort of like a a folksy Christian Bob Dylan kind of. Yeah, and like it, there's no doubt he's a brilliant brilliant uh, songwriter thinker. Um, he's a very talented musician. Um, I liked his voice, just his singing, mm-hmm. because I loved the grit to it. It just it just yeah. sounded real raw. Um, and that album, She Must and Shall Go Free, was all about the church. Yeah. And then he did the next album called Mockingbird. I think that was the next one, Mockingbird. Yeah, I think so. um, and like, I, I I loved that album. And I was I was I was never a Bernie Sanders guy like you were. Um, I mean, I, no, 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 I wasn't. I wasn't. I wasn't quite Bernie Sanders. I voted for John Kerry in two thousand four. That's the last time I voted for a. Okay, so Democrat. so that's like that's like the effeminate man's Bernie Sanders. Mm-hmm. It's the more acceptable, it's the more socially acceptable Bernie Sanders. Yeah. yeah by, by the time 2008 rolled around, I'd already fallen down the, the conservative staircase. Okay. Well, um, well, but that, that album, though, I mean, clearly yeah, yeah. he was social justice So stuff. I remember being turned off on that album, I think. It was either that album or the one right after that. He had a line about um, a, one of the lies the serpent has said. Be, Jesus you know what I'm talking Christ about? was a white middle-class exactly, Republican. Exactly, white middle-class Republican. And I remember when that came out in 2007 or whatever, being like, eh, that's, like feeling a little gro- Like I, yeah. I kind of have an idea that this guy's... And I, had, I always had the same worry about John Foreman, who's not deconstructed, but I was super into Switchfoot. And yeah. John Foreman could get a little too cool for school yeah. with his... Social justice, you know, like the the album Mockingbird. So, I for me, it was, um, it it was it was kind of a provocative thing, because that's a true statement. Yeah, of course, Jesus Christ was not a white middle class Republican. So, so yeah, you're making a true statement, but you're saying saying it in such a way as to imply that that's what that white middle class Republicans think that they are. Exactly. Like Jesus. I could put in a lyric in a song that says, Jesus Christ never talked about abortion. And literally, that, that is true. That's, true. that's a literally true <laughs> statement. But you know what I'm doing with that statement. Yeah. And that's that's how I felt about that one in that that one line. It was it was it was clever. Um but but so social justice stuff, but but it was um but it, I mean for me it was it was a it was provocative in a way that did get me thinking and I was I was moved by it. And I was also moved by the music itself because the the production was obnoxiously um, dry. Yeah. If, so if you, so basically, like you know, if you know music production, you if you're recording an album, uh, you use a lot of you know typically use effects. So you'll have um, reverbs, mm-hmm. and which is kind of that you know it's like you sound like you're in a hall. So it's like like when you sing in the shower. Uh, everybody sings in the shower because you sound good in the shower because you have so much reverb that covers up all the imperfections of your voice. But the album was so dry, and I remember like the um, the sound, just the way it sounded. And I've got a I've got a really weird um, just fascination with um, with just the way things sound. I mean, you're uh, a borderline professional musician, so I mean, like you you know of what you speak. You won't say that, so I'll say it on your behalf. Oh, okay. So I, yeah, I, I mean. First cousins with Should we go Michael ahead and say W. It? Smith. All right, all right. And props so, to Michael W. Smith for, for yeah. coming out. Uh, not okay. I shouldn't say coming out. <laughs> props to Michael W. For Smith for staying in. For, <laughs> <laughs> so he he was vocal. He, he recorded a video about issue one in Ohio. Yeah. And um, you know, I was like, that took guts. You know, uh, way to go for for not just doing what all the other not either. He he could have remained silent mm-hmm. as a lot of people were, but he you know he put his name on the line for that. So 
kudos to him for that. But um, the way that the way that the music sounded on this album, Mockingbird, um, the way so the way the drums were mixed, even um, so it's like you have the snare drum sound, and it was like it was like it was they packed this snare drum full of pillows and towels or mm. something because it's like it's just such a dead sound. Um, it's really just an interesting an interesting sound and and I was kind of and the chord progressions and the the melodies were just very unusual. It was really creative work and I don't think he ever quite matched the artistry of that album and his subsequent work. Um but that particular album stood out for me. And so like maybe he deconstructed art too in addition to <laughs> Well, I mean art but the the things the, those things go together because once you abandon yeah, the profundity idea, goes with truth. Right. So I yeah, Francis Schaeffer was uh he he talked a lot about how uh, the secular mind, how it how it is destroyed art yeah. because you have you don't have any transcendent reference point from which to to uh, to, to lift your heart up mm-hmm. to or to aspire to, um, and everything is just this almost like I'm like the most realistic secular artists are ones who thumb their nose at the nihilism of the world that we live in because they're Darwinists yeah. they don't believe in anything transcendent they're atheists compare modern art to the Sistine Chapel. You know, yeah, for or, sure. Or the, the skyscraper in your local landscape from the 1990s to uh, the Notre Dame. Yeah. Well, you know, we've had these, you know, this these things going around Twitter about mm-hmm. guys and their, um, like, the, posting pictures. I mean, they're AI-generated, but it's just kind of a joke. But but there's a there's something to yeah. architecture. Architecture does reflect, um, they, they architecture tells a story. Yeah. Um, I was just listening to Bach before we came up here, and like I'm, I wasn't super, but with homeschooling the kids, I've been trying to get into classical education or classical music more. So I was listening to Bach, who was thoroughly Christian, from what I can tell, legitimately saved in heaven, Christian, and his stuff. Um, it's like I mean, I wouldn't even think of writing a song in a minor key, uh, you know what I mean? But he's got these these pieces that are really, really, really moving. Uh, J. Sue, Joy of Man's Desiring, that one's in a major key. But that might be the most beautiful piece of music I've ever heard in my life. There's nothing like that now. Hmm. Every song today is four chords. Yeah. And so to your point about Webb, I know, yes, he was very, especially in those Christian albums, he was very innovative. And um, yeah, he did not just do what everybody else was doing. And it was startling to me. I remember listening to it, man, like, man, you can play more than just G, C, D, E minor. Yeah. And like, you can make words kind of rhyme that don't normally rhyme and... It was impressive, um, but I guess I guess with that one line, there was just it's it's a small thing, but there was some little weather vane in my soul that felt like this is one of those guys who likes being rebellious in the wrong direction. Yeah, he's not he's not testing the bounds of the house of Christendom because he loves Christ and wants to make sure we built the house right. He's testing the bounds of Christendom because he likes being the the snot-nosed rebel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and so like these these things, they do their their tells that kind of indicate. I mean, you can get some of these early indicators of what what's a person's orientation or inclination, I should say. To, you know about if like once a person starts to cast aspersion at the foundation of the faith. So or you're you're throwing, you're criticizing. Um, it's like you want to be edgy, and so you start questioning scripture. Were questioning um, like a lot of the you know stories of the Bible, mm-hmm. you know, you know this whole David ra- raped Bathsheba. Mm-hmm. Whenever people, whenever people start saying something like that, yeah. it's not 
they're not doing that because of serious, like God honoring, a, a humble desire to glorify right. God kind of Christian scholarship. They're there's an edge there. They're looking right. for some opportunity to make the Bible more like the world that we live in um, and to undermine its credibility and authority. It would be like, so there would be a way for me to have left my father's house and return home as a married adult man and just sort of see with my own fresh eyes the traditions and the trappings of my childhood and say, you know what, this wasn't ideal. We could have done this better. I'm really grateful for these things. And, and to sort of, you know, do it that way. That's how I think a mature adult Christian would look back, not on the scriptures, but on the on the things he was taught maybe in church or the the ancillary parts of his faith. Then there would be the version of me that would go back to my dad's house and just just judge and be caustic and mm-hmm. ironic and sarcastic about everything. Yeah. And that's what the deconstructors do yeah. with they do it with the actual scriptures, but yeah. certainly even with like just the tenets of evangelicalism. Yeah. Um, I see that Zach guy that we we interact Zach with. Yeah, I see him on all the. T- he'll just. Uh, was anybody else taught that dinosaurs were just put in the earth to test our faith? You know, like why mm. are you doing that? Yeah, it's it's not just because you think it's funny. Well, it's a straw man argument anyway. Right, it is. But you're doing that. It is a straw. It's absolutely a straw man. I'm a young Earth creationist, and I don't believe that at all. But even more than the issue is the heart behind the issue. Like yeah. you, you like mocking. Yeah, Christendom. You want to poke at conservatives. Right. That's their religion. And there's uh, uh, Brandon Robertson. Yeah. Um, uh, So he, I don't have it in front of me. I'm just remembering off the top of my head here. But basically he said, this was a tweet he posted yesterday. He said, Jesus is queer. Yeah. It's awful, man. The church is queer. Christianity is queer. Something like that. And I'm just like, why why would you do that? Yeah. But it's because he is himself a gay man and he... Claiming to be a Christian pastor. Claiming to be. But, I mean, this this guy is clearly a wolf. Yeah. He's, he is straight up a wolf that is destroying sheep, leading them to hell by his own lies. It's it's heartbreaking. And uh, so Webb, when he came full, when he, when he went full deconstructed or full rebel, um, he did the same thing. I remember listening to that worship song. Have you, have you ever listened to the song that he made to sort of mock worship songs? No. So there would be a way you and I could sit here and we could go, as Christians, man, some of this Hillsong stuff is just, it's manipulative and it's shallow. Like, we could do that. Yeah. And and I think that that's, that's inbounds. Yeah. But what he did was, instead of doing it in that spirit, like, hey, let me just show you guys how some of your modern worship music is too emotionally manipulate. Yeah, he like, made... Yeah, it's like, we're, we would do that to be helpful. To be helpful, So right. we can, like, highlight, hey, we can do better. We can worship Christ better. Um, but instead, what he did was, he he had a song with all those sort of builds up, uh, build ups, um... You know, and it's more, it, each line is sort of like increasingly like, come and take me over, come. And then he gets to the chorus and he sings what he's singing about, and it's not God, it's alcohol. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I have heard that song. And it's um, just so, it's so snotty and mean-spirited and nasty. Hmm. Um, and I just, that, you're, you're tipping your hand, like you're showing me what's really going on in your heart. Yeah. Uh, and you'll, you'll. God will judge you for it. Yeah. Well, here's what Webb did. Um, he so he was married to Sandra McCracken, mm-hmm. uh, who is a pretty well known Christian artist and still is a good to, one, to my knowledge. Yeah, she uh, she's written uh, some hymns and, and had, uh, seemed like seemed like a you know good woman. Um, divorced her. Um, I don't know the details, but from 
it seemed like you know there was some fault on his part there that um I'm pretty sure I remember him using the language of unfaithfulness on his part. I'm okay. I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable. Well, I was to thinking say that, that, but I didn't want to I didn't want to say it because I I just I didn't know for sure. Um but so that happened. But what brings him up more recently is like the so the Dove Awards is the Christian Grammys. Mm-hmm. Um and it's like the of, of all the Christian music awards, it's the most you know, it's it's a prestigious thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so he went to the Dove Awards in a dress. Um, like he wasn't full drag, but he went in a dress. And then, and he went with somebody named Flamey Grant. Mm-hmm. So if you know who Chris, he's done a music video with, yeah. So well, the music video that he did with Flamey Grant was he started off, you know, looking like himself, and then throughout the course of the video, somebody's putting makeup on him, and mm-hmm. then he ends the video totally dressed in drag, like makeup, the hair, the whole thing. Um, but to do, to go to the Dove Awards dressed in drag, he's clearly trying to, he's, he's sticking a thumb in the eye of Christians. He wasn't invited. It's not like he was getting an award. Yeah. He's choosing to go to this thing and to take pictures of himself and then distribute those on social media. Like he's, he is poking, he's looking for, and it is, it is interesting to me that these guys don't do this with Islam. You know what I mean? Well, you would get beheaded. But uh, it is, it's like, so you, like it's funny. That, that you, you, it's basically like uh, you know that you're not really going to face that much consequence for this. I mean, you'll say that you, you'll act persecuted and like you're some kind of martyr because people mocked you on Twitter or whatever. But that's, what, that's actually what you were looking for. You were yeah. looking for a reaction. You got a reaction, and then you'll do it again until eventually you're so, so out of the public eye that you just nobody cares what you do anymore. Yeah. Well, this is all part of his own deconstruction to where he once was in a Christian band writing really thoughtful Christian lyrics. He started to move um, in a progressive direction until eventually he's now totally gay affirming in every way and has abandoned the Christian faith. Um, he's he said so openly. I, I saw it. I had a tweet, but I, I don't have the the exact wording. But basically, is it's undeniable. Like he said, he is no longer yeah what we would consider a Christian. Um, yeah, like he was he was absolutely I remember reading things from him where he he said I do not believe and I listened to him on podcasts um in interviews and things where he he would say I I do not believe the Bible. Yeah. Uh, things that bald. It seemed like I saw a few things from him recently where he was sort of trying to like hedge that a little bit as though like he kind of doing maybe the song and dance of well, really it's it's your interpretation of Jesus that I don't like. But he's not a Christian in no way. Well, yeah. <laughs> does not believe Jesus is God. Does not believe, you know, is living in absolute unrepentant sin and celebration of sin. Um, he's not a regenerate Christian. I think he there may be some form of Christianity that he wants to retain. But my, by form, I mean what I mean is like. He's outside of the Christian world. He's nobody. Right. Nobody cares. No, nobody cares about Derek Webb outside of the Christian subculture. Nobody knows who he is, nor does anybody have any interest right. in who he is. So it's like the people who made him famous and people who made him who he is and gave him the fame that he has, those are the people that he most wants to mock and disparage. Um, and so he's got to hang on to it in some way. Yeah. He's not doing that at the Grammys. At the Grammys, they'll be like, well, Who are you? And also lots of dudes are wearing dresses here. Yeah. <laughs> We got a guy on stage dressed as Satan. <laughs> yeah. oh, You're nothing. Oh, uh, I can't remember the guy's Sam. Sam Smith. Smith. Yeah. yeah it's like it's like the, it's like a pretty ordinary. We have name. a man pretending to be a woman pretending to be Satan. 
He's yeah. simultaneously pretending to be two other things. Yeah. So Derek Webb, you and your clogs, right? And you're you know. you're not edgy here, pal. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's pathetic. So, all right, so I've got some. The, he, the thing is, like, this is becoming a trend, um, and there's a number of people. Uh, there's some names I'll throw out here. I'll just I'll just I'll read these names and uh, wait any any uh, peanut gallery comments. All right. Uh, Michael Gunger, do you know who that is? I do. Wasn't the band Gunger, Gunger Dean or Gunger? Yeah, so, you know, if you know the song, uh, you make everything yeah. beautiful. Uh, uh, I, I, it's like, <laughs> I thought I had it when you started singing it. Now yeah. I'm wondering if I do. It's like, uh, oh, I know what it is. You make beautiful things. You oh, yeah. You make okay. everything yeah. beautiful. Yeah, that sounds Something right. Something like that. Yeah, so that's Gunger. Um, he is now mm-hmm. uh, a former Christian. Yeah. Jennifer Knapp. My wife was super into her. She was also kind of folksy and edgy in the late 90s. Her, um, her, her album was Kansas. That was mm-hmm. the big one. Um, she's uh, a lesbian now. Yeah, she's a lesbian. And yeah, that, that, that really is a bummer. Yeah. Kevin Max? Yeah, man. And again, with DC Talk, I always felt like he was the one who was too cool for school. Oh, um, yeah. He just, he just seemed kind of not only into himself, but just kind of trying to push the, push the bounds a little bit. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a hard to quantify thing, but it's a vibe that I feel like I can pick up on. Yeah. Um, I'm, I am glad Toby Mack has stayed within the faith, and as far as I can tell, Michael Tate, too. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know much about Michael Tate, but Kevin Max, I've always felt. I've always felt weird about him. Yeah, uh, Dan Hazeltine. Yeah, that that bums me out a lot, man. Jars of Clay had a, you know, soft spot in my heart. Um, the original album, I play it for my kids still. Yeah, that bums yeah. me out. Yeah, flood, yep. rain, rain on my face. Yeah, that one broke out of. You know, that was like the mid nineties. Oh, yeah. DC Talk was able to do it. They were on like Arsenio Hall. I was post millennial, like straight up post millennial for like a yeah, week. Yeah, whenever that I was like okay. Yeah. The kingdom of God. I mean, that was like in like movies with, you know, <laughs> Ryan Reynolds in them. Like it was like it was like in soundtracks and stuff. Yeah. Um, I might even be post-millennial now. I'm, I'm studying that at the moment, but I'm a millennial. I'm definitely. Well, all, if we, you're not going to be post-mill if we keep reading names of Christians <laughs> who have deconstructed. Well, that, no, that's the craziest thing, though. I'm like, as as things in the world get worse. I see this insurgence of post-millennialism. Yeah. And I'm like, that's praise God for that. You've got, yeah. you got men and women who are who are believing God for things that seem increasingly impossible. Right. Even if you don't become post-mill listener or Michael, um, admire their pluck. Stand in <laughs> awe of their pluck. <laughs> That's such a funny way to put it. Admire their pluck. Uh, Marty Sampson, Hillsong. Um, so I don't think I remember him. Was he a songwriter through Hillsong? He, he was... So you, Yes, okay. uh, songwriter, one of their worship leaders. Okay. Um, I'm sure I've heard him then. You've probably heard... I don't know... There's there's probably like some really famous songs that he's done. I don't I don't know any particular song. They all kind of run together. Okay. Um, I mean, so here's a here's a pastor, Josh Harris. Yeah. That this one was huge. Yeah, it was big because not only was he a pastor, he was probably like sort of the number two of the Sovereign Grace thing. Yeah. So you CJ had, Mahaney. You had Mahaney founding it, and it you know, and this guy was sort of his. It, it's almost like Jonathan Lehman to Mark Dever was sort of yeah. the vibe I got. Like Josh Harris was the. Uh, but so not only a pastor and a big guy pastor within a big movement, but then wrote several books that mm-hmm. shaped the '90s Christian dating culture. Yeah, uh, I kiss dating goodbye. Um, I can't remember the other one or two books that he wrote within that same topic. But yeah, yeah, I mean, totally. So he got a divorce, and now he's gay yeah. affirming. And his wife wrote a book uh, that apparently sort of she's similarly deconstructed. Yeah. Um, Rob Bell. Yeah, I'm not surprised by that one at all. Uh, I mean, I, I back in 2000 and 
nine, I remember writing blog articles about how this you can't you can't take this guy seriously. Yeah, and it, I don't know what to make of this, but it. I mean, I, I could I could speculate, but it seems as though this affects artsy people. Yeah, heck yeah, it, it does. Like creative artsy people for for whatever reason, and there there could be. Yeah, I, I have thoughts about that, but but that does, they do seem to go together. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rhett and Link. Now yeah. that. Yeah, this one is you, personal. You, knew, to you me. knew these guys, right? Yeah, I know these guys. Uh, we weren't like close friends, but we worked together. We uh, I led worship at a conference, and these guys were like the MCs, and they're hilarious. Um, good guys. I mean, I, I I really liked them. Yeah. Um, they came to our when I worked for Crew in Louisville, they came to our campus to do an evangelism training, and um, you know hung out with them there, and they they trained our students in effective evangelism methods because they were on staff with Crew. They moved out to LA. And I'm thinking, man, Rhett and Link, they're they're going after Mount Everest. Yeah, praise yeah, God, man. you know. I, I, but it turns out that they were seeking fame and glory. And um, then a few years ago, they they, they totally just, yeah. On in both the, of them in a video, they kind of just walk through their yeah. And I think they use the word deconstruction. Yeah, I yeah. think they were reading Bart Ehrman, who yeah. is like a UNC Chapel Hill, and that's where they went to school. Mm-hmm. So they they would have been familiar with them from from school. But Bart Ehrman, it's just like a in crazy liberal. Yeah. Um, and by Airman's own testimony, he deconstructed before it was cool way back in like the seventies or eighties or whatever. He yeah. went to school a, an evangelical, he says. But I mean, and, being the academic that encourages Christians to deconstruct their faith, that'll get you tenure. That'll open doors for you. You can build a career on that. And that's exactly what Bart Airman's done. He's I know, a, he's but a he, her- horrible man. He should tremble about judgment day. Yeah. So he'll have tenure at UNC, but I'd, I would, I'm terrified for him on yeah. the Day of Judgment. Abraham Piper? Yeah, this one, John Piper will always be one of my heroes. Doug Wilson and John Piper uh, have influenced me more than any other living men, um, at least men from a distance, you know, men, men I don't know personally. Uh, so that I grieve for him on this one. Yeah. Uh, and That's got to break John Piper's heart. I can't imagine. I cannot imagine. And Abraham was was disciplined yeah. by their church and restored to fellowship. Yeah, if you, you want to see something that'll just like rip you up. Uh, I mean, if you have a heart and you care about the Pipers at all, uh, he, in, he did a biographical sermon on his own father. And I'm pretty sure this is where this one happened. So at each conference, Desiring God conference or conference for pastors, he would do a bio sermon. He did one on his dad and Abraham introduces that sermon. Hmm. So this is like back in 2000, I don't know, maybe six, eight, something like that. Abraham's probably like 18 years old. And you can tell that like there had been prior you know, tension or emotional, yeah. and he's sort of, this is like a, I love my father and I'm grateful to be back sort of tone that he gives. And he talks about John going to baseball games with him, even though he hates baseball and talks about how good a, good a father he is. Uh, so to watch that and see 18, 19, whatever year old Abraham Piper do that and then watch him today on TikTok just mock his father's God and his father's faith yeah. um, is just soul-wrenching. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I remember seeing a few of those TikTok videos when they first started doing them, and I just I couldn't watch. I no, was like he, this because I, I love John Piper. I, yeah. think, I think there's a there's a whole generation of young men and women around our age range. Yeah. That John Piper shaped our yeah. theology of God Absolutely. and thinking in profound ways, and so just out of out of respect for him yeah. alone, I, I I don't want to indulge and contribute to Abraham's platform. Yeah, uh, totally. The my the debt I owe to John Piper is enormous, and yeah. yeah, I cannot imagine having Abraham as my son. 
Yeah. Yeah. God have mercy. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let, let's go on to a, a definition here. I've got a couple. Um, so wait, if you want to read the first one, this is from the Lexham Bible Dictionary. Yes. Here's a definition of... Uh, so the word we're defining here is apostasy. Apostasy. Yeah. A public denial of a previously held religious belief and a distancing from the community that holds to it. The term is almost always applied pejoratively, carrying connotations of rebellion, betrayal, treachery, or faithlessness. Yeah. That's sobering. Yeah. And I, you know, I mean, like for us, we we might hear this sort of um, pejorative connotation from people who are like leaving uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, a Jehovah's Witness cult or Mormon cult to come to evangelicalism. And, you know, we can kind of, at least I have heard like horror stories of like families cutting people off. And my heart then goes out to the person who's been sort of orphaned because they left this cult. But the reality is if somebody were to just openly deny Christianity, biblical Christianity, and leave it for Hinduism or Islam, <clears throat> they would receive the same sort of horror from us. We wouldn't, we wouldn't, uh, you know, cults I know can like, be cruel with it and we wouldn't be cruel to a believing friend or relative but we would like th- tell them the relationship is forever changed yeah we, we, we don't have if I'm if I'm Sandra McCracken you know I, I can never have the sort of view of my husband my ex-husband mm-hmm. that I had when he was a Christian that they, yeah. things can't ever go back yeah um, yeah so so this next definition is the Tyndale Bible dictionary a little bit different um Slightly different take in that it leaves the door open for a return. We can talk about this. So Tendo Bible Dictionary says this. Apostasy is turning against God as evidenced by abandonment and repudiation of former beliefs. The term generally refers to a deliberate renouncing of the faith by a once sincere believer rather than a state of ignorance or mistaken knowledge. Mm -hmm. Apostasy is distinguished from heresy, denial of a part of the faith and from transfer of allegiance from one religious body to another within the same faith. So you're not apostate if you leave Methodism and become a Baptist. Right. Also, it is possible to deny the faith as Peter once did, and then at a later time reaffirm it. So I would say about this definition, <clears throat> I don't think it would, uh, what, what Peter did, I, I wouldn't call that apostasy. Yes, correct. I wouldn't either. I don't. It was I don't, a betrayal. It was yeah. a sin, a great sin, um, for which he was obviously deeply repentant of and Jesus um you know made him made him you know sit in it in John chapter 20 yeah um i would i would uh, from church history there's a similar period where um priests who uh, under persecution during the roman empire would uh, turn over biblical texts or repudiate the faith you know so that they wouldn't be burned or executed and then later would in you know in grief confess the sin and say I, I'm a Christian. I apologize. And there was debate over whether or not such priests, the baptisms that they had prior administered, were valid or not. Hmm. But I, I, yeah. I think uh, was it Tyndale? Did no. So this was much. This was like the Augustine Cyprian kind of that controversy. Um, but so I, I would, I would agree with with what you just said that those would be more examples of what happened with Peter. That's not apostasy. Yeah. That's not a public persistent repudiation of the faith as the faith that's a momentary lapse um which is sin but but which is not it's not judas iscariot yeah 
Right. Judas is different from Peter. Yeah. So Judas Iscariot would be a, you know, clearly an apostate, somebody who gave indication of faith, um, followed Jesus for a time, but yes. was not truly, truly converted. So yeah, we have a few scriptures that we can um, that we can review here. I'll read the Matthew seven one. Wait, if you want to grab the, um, pick one of the. We definitely want to hit First John two, but maybe. Um, yeah, um, if I if I can take Hebrews just because they're yeah. Go ahead. Okay, I'll, well, Hebrews three three and First John two. Yeah, you take the last two. I'll take the first two. Okay. So here's Matthew seven verse twenty one. Jesus speaking at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. A couple of observations there. There will be people who, who, are, who may end up going apostate, that will have done things that Jesus mentions here. He says, many will say, so this is not an uncommon, it's not, it's not like it's unheard of, but this right. is something that Jesus says, many will, will prophesy in Jesus' name. They will cast out demons in Jesus' name and do mighty works that, that might refer to miraculous deeds or that might just be they had you know, effective service in the kingdom. He must and shall go free. Yeah. <laughs> you might make an album. You might make, yeah, you might make some really helpful Christian music, yeah. but apostate. Or you might be a pastor. And here's the thing, it's like, I know a pastor, personally, who, who is apostatized, um, or apostatized, I can never say that word right. Um, and it was, it, it shook the faith of some church members, yeah. because they were like, if this man, if this man is not a Christian, and he led me to the Lord, or I, I grew as a Christian under his preaching, um, does that... What does that mean for my faith? And I would tell them, it means absolutely nothing. Um, yeah. God will speak through um, a Balaam's donkey, and God can God can use any number of means, even apostate means, uh, because it is His word that does the converting, not the man. Yeah. Um, One of the most touching things I ever read from John Piper was he wrote like it was like a paragraph in an article, I think, basically saying that right there, saying if you ever hear that John Piper has left the faith here's what it means. And he just like sort of mm. lists it. It means I did not actually believe the gospel I profess to believe. It means that I, I mean, and, and it was just sort of his way of, I mean, it's it, to read that from somebody as though like he's considering the possibility that he might not be regenerate. He believes he is, but, <clears throat> and if he's not, and he apostatizes, he wants his sheep to know, don't rely on my ministry, yeah. rely on Christ. Anyway. Yeah, that's great. Why don't we go ahead and skip to uh, the Hebrews text, uh, okay. first John text. You, you can take those. So Hebrews 3, um, verse 12 says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Um, I don't think we talk enough to Christians this way. Mm -hmm. I don't think we talk this way to each other as much as we should. The Bible, the epistles use this sort of language a lot. We're quick to offer assurance. Yeah. And yet throughout the epistles, you see guys 
I mean, like any of these letters might have been the last letter they write to the particular body of people that they were writing to. They're, these were before, this is before the time of email. It's like, I'm writing you a letter and I may never get another chance to write you another letter. Mm, yeah. And yet throughout them, they say things like, keep yourselves in the faith, be watchful, act like men. Like they're, they're warnings about, I'm, I want you to make sure you stay in the faith. Uh, and and I, I don't talk that way enough and I doubt most of our listeners talk that way enough. Yeah, I, I, I know that even in my preaching, um, it, because I know that there, I, I don't want people to doubt, and I know people that experience doubts. Um, I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to shake them up, and, um, and, I, and that's that's my compassion for them, and I want, and it's when you know people, you want to, you want to give them what you think that they, that they need, and so I. I tend to err in favor of yeah. reassuring people, but the, the, needless to, but nevertheless, rather, the there is still a need for people to for us to speak the way the Bible does. It's like examine yourselves, test yourself right. to see if you're in the faith. Paul says um, these are we do need to we we should not just presume upon uh, God's grace, and it, it is good and healthy for us to have some times where we. Um, do some serious reflection. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the first John um, verse is first John two nineteen. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain they all are not of us. Uh, and that is one of the most straightforward descriptions of this phenomenon we're talking about. And I think it's interesting that he, because First John largely is written to give Christians assurance. Mm-hmm. Hey, this is how you know you're born of God. You love the brothers. You love the ones born of God. Like the whole letter is written to, here's, here's what you can know. Here's what you can know is that those who are converted Keep God's commandments, which are to believe in his son and to love the ones born of him. I mean, it's, so it's, it's a very fatherly sort of letter given, uh, written to people to give them assurance. And within that, he tells these people, look, I know one. Basically, here's, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but I think this is what he's doing. <clears throat> you are unsettled. You, yeah. true Christian reading my letter, are unsettled by this thing that happened where these people left your church, Susie and Joe and Bill and their kids, and you loved them. And I know that rattles you. So I'm going to go ahead and tell you what that was. They left because they were not really of us. And they left us so that that was God's way of showing you they were not really of us. Yeah. And that's meant to like, you know, in a weird way, that should actually calm the Christian soul. Yeah. Derek Webb, that freaks me out. I, I played my kid's wedding dress all the time. You know that song? Oh, my gosh, how could he leave the you faith? You played that song for your kids? Uh, yeah, I did, yeah. It's... Yeah, I, yeah, and it's got some bad words in it, but I, I don't shy away from bad words depending on the usage. And so, yeah, I've played that song for them a million times. And so if, if I were rattled by that, or yeah. if you were rattled by Ray Bolt's leaving the faith, you know, I remember that being like the offering song at every church I went to. Is that Thank You, Jesus? Thank You, thank you for giving to the Lord. Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I think John would say... They went out so that it would become plain they were not of us. Yeah, so just to just to bottom line it for you here, here's what Wade and I are saying and what we believe. Um, 
it's not as though people were saved and regenerate by the Holy Spirit, true Christians, and then they lost their salvation. Yeah. Rather, there are people who are who will demonstrate some outward manifestation of faith that is incredibly convincing. Mm-hmm. Um, and when they fall away, and Jesus, and you know, John says, like, when they fall away, it's like that that is God's way, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. It's God's way of telling us they were never truly saved. And I think what's happening right now, and this is this is pretty this is very sobering. That's what's happening in the church. Yeah. Brought like this new phenomena of people deconstructing is a really it's a new phenomenon of God exposing the frauds. Yeah. And there's a lot of them. And the man who wrote what we just read, he had his head on Jesus's shoulder. And when Peter said, hey, ask him who he means about betraying. Mm-hmm. So like this guy knew of what he spoke. They had they had looked Judas in the eye for years. They had done ministry with him for years, and none of them suspected that it was Judas. Yeah. That's he so he's he's reassuring us that listen, I was fooled and you'll be fooled. Mm-hmm. I was shocked and you'll be shocked. There's no way it could be Ed until it is. Yeah. And when it happens, know that he was not of us. Yeah. Well, there's an article on Truthscript. Um, Truthscript is a... Is it like a discount prescription thing? (laughs) (laughs) So it's where Christians get their drugs. Okay. (laughs) Uh, No, it's um, John Harris's. I I think he put this together. Um, It's a newer website. uh, Good resources there. There was an article called, Why Is There So Much Deconstructing Today? And I want to just read a couple of... um, a couple of paragraphs from, a couple sentences, really, from this article. And we'll link to this in the show notes. It says, quote, I would like to suggest that there's an even more basic reason for this, this increasing apostasy. For generations, evangelicals have predominantly engaged in a type of evangelism that produces false converts in mm. large numbers. Yeah. J.I. Packer writes, We have during the past century bartered the biblical gospel for a substitute product, which though it looks similar enough in points of detail, is as a whole decidedly a different thing. Since there are so many today in the evangelical church who are completely abandoning the faith, and since only those who have never been truly saved can fully apostatize, the inevitable conclusion must be that there are significantly large numbers of lost people in evangelical churches. That sentence right there uh, stopped me in my tracks when I read it. Because I think about my own church. The yeah. church. Wade and I, we work at a church together. I'm the lead pastor. Wade uh, leads worship in small groups. We, we know um, a couple hundred members that we uh-huh. have here. We know these people, and it, it I want to say terrifies me. And yeah. That, that, that may be the right word, but certainly it is sobering. But to think that there are people here that right now, I believe them to be Christians, um, but I don't want to just... I think what it does to me is that it makes me not want to just presume without doing the the needed work of um of discipling well and teaching appropriately um because there there may be people and I think what could happen is you have a lot of people who think they're Christians but they're not but through the regular means of grace the preaching of the word and the rhythms of the church you know they they are converted through that that but I I'm thinking of the big mega churches that they they seem to they, that's what the their specialty 
is creating environments that get people to make some decision. It's like a Charles Finney revival. Yeah, it's just decisioneering yeah. and get them to respond in a certain way. And and I can tell you it's not hard to do. People can be people are highly suggestive. They can be manipulated through music and through a certain environment, through smoke and dark lights. And you can get people eating out of the palm of your hand if you're a skilled manipulator. And mega churches have I'm not saying they all have, but that this is what they do. Um, they they traffic in false conversions, and they can boast about the numbers. But what they never boast about are the people that are leaving, right? Or the people that never follow through. But they'll say we did 400 baptisms last year. Well, how many of those were actually converted? Right. And I can think of so many people that were baptized in that kind of environment, but they fell. They, ne- they never did actually walk with God. Yeah. The real metric should be how many joyful funerals did you do? <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, how many funerals did you do of members in your church this year where you're confident she went to be with the Lord? Yeah. I did a funeral once for, at, at, at my last church, for a, uh, the husband of a regular attender. She was a, she was a uh, as best I could tell, a fairly good Christian woman. But her husband had never, from the time I'd been at that church, he had never set foot inside the place. Hmm. Did his funeral. And she was persuaded that he was truly a Christian, that he just did not go to church. Um, I had never met him in my two or three years at the church. The, the associate pastor said, he's not a, not a happy man. And he did not believe he was saved. And I had to do this funeral for this man. I just gave the gospel. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I could not in good conscience say, this man is in heaven, which yeah. is what you want to say. Yeah. And yeah, that, those are those are, as a pastor horrible. That, that, yeah, it's horrible when you can't say it, and it's wonderful when you can. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And when yeah. you know the person, and you could say, "Listen, listen, folks. Like we have every reason to be confident yeah, yeah, yeah. that our departed loved one here is with Christ right now, singing His praise." But when you can't say that, um, I mean, I've done. I did a funeral for a three-year-old little boy, and um, so it's. I, I, I'm not speaking about the salvation of the boy. Right. Um, but the parents, it was like the mom was into this kind of new agey sparkle stuff. Um, and it was, it was really weird. Mm. Um, and I just, I, I felt sick yeah. um, doing this funeral and trying to preach the gospel to a people. And the reason, <laughs> the reason why they had me do it is because the husband, the father of this child was a contractor that did work in our building. Oh, and we were the only church they knew. I'm like, oh, they, those guys at Christ the King, they were pretty nice. Call up Pastor Michael, see if he'll do our son's funeral, mm. this little boy that died. Um, and it, it is gut-wrenching to do a funeral whenever you just don't... You, you, you know you're speaking into unbelief. Right. The predominant mood of the room is unbelief. And that's the mega church mentality, <laughs> I think. You know, maybe not at the funeral, but up until that point, the, at, least the, at least the vanilla mega churches we're talking about... Uh, it's, it's just, Hey man, everybody in this room, the assumption is the assumption in all the announcements and all the singing and all the, everything is everybody in this room, we're going to heaven. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you'd really have to, you'd have to try hard to be in this room and not go to heaven. Like we're, we're all getting there together. Like that's just, it, it's just kind of the assumption. It's the flavor, the aroma of the room. And I, you read the new Testament and that's not the flavor or the aroma of those letters. They're Not they're like, you guys need to strive to enter the narrow gate. You need to mm-hmm. watch yourselves and make sure, are you sure? 
great book on this uh, from the 1800s. I know you've got a copy. I, I think there's copies, multiple copies at this church. Um, a Pastor's Sketches by Ichabod Spencer. Oh, yeah. Because he's just constantly talking about it. Everyone's like five pages, him just with members of his churches. But almost all of them are him admonishing people <laughs> to make sure they're in the faith. Yeah. And uh, the fact that he would have that kind of love for people. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's loving to go, I'm not sure you're saved. Yeah. Can we pray? Hmm. Anyway. Yeah, I'll read to you. Um, I just pulled this up on my phone here. here here's a, a, a paragraph from our church's theological vision and mission statement, and it's, it's adapted from the London Baptist Confession on um, assurance. But it says, Those who truly believe in Christ, who love Him sincerely, and strive to live in all good conscience before Him, may in this life be certainly assured that they are in a state of grace and may rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Although some may experience seasons of doubt where they are tempted to question whether they are in the faith, it is not God's will to leave us without hope, but rather for us to strive in faith to be restored to our hope in the gospel. And that's what—that's kind of the spirit of 1 John, yeah. where we can have assurance, but that assurance is based on particular data. Where and that data being our faithfulness in areas that the New Testament identifies. Yeah, like do you, Jesus said, "If you love me, you'll keep my commandments." Yes. Um, so is our is there obedience? Is there uh, is there a, a humility before God? A, re- a repentant heart? A desire to repent of sin? Um, and if and if somebody is not doing those things, then there is a legitimate reason to they they might be saved, but it's. We don't want to just presume upon the grace of God and just be like, ah, you're you're fine. Right. God's an old softy. He'll let you into heaven. Don't worry about it. It's like no. It's like we. There needs to be some. Some some self examination in a, in a in a way that is not is not the fruit of doubting God's goodness, but rather a desire to to make sure that we are truly uh, walking in uh, in faithfulness the way yep. that the New Testament prescribes for a believer. Yeah, I was, uh, I was just thinking, you, you, you brought up First John there, um, wanting to use data. And that's, I was, all throughout the letter, he sort of says, it's this way, it's this way, that you, but this is one particular spot where it, it flashed in my mind when you were saying that. He wants you to have assurance, but he's saying there's a way that you're going to know that you're saved. And it's not just some sort of vague, abstract feeling that fuzzes in your, in your mind. He says... Um, in 1 John 3, 18, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Love, my children, in deed and truth. By this, we shall know that we are of the truth and re- out, reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment. We believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. Hmm. It's, a, it, it's, a, it's like this cocktail, this mixed <laughs> drink of believe in his son, love one another, and by this you will know that you are of the truth. Yeah. By this, not just by, you know, I just kind of got this sense that, that God's really all, he's always had a soft spot for me, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to make it, I'm going to make it to heaven because of that. No, yeah. man, that's not, you don't, that's not assurance. Yeah. That's false confidence. Yeah, and that, 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 those, those ideas that people have is, is a, is a holdover, I think, from, um, 
you know, revivalistic Christianity, which is all about just manufacturing the decision. Yeah. And if you have a decision, um, then that's case closed. Um, you prayed the prayer. I asked Jesus into my heart. Yeah. The end. I I read the booklet. I got to the end. I said I, that I want I want to pray this prayer, um, and so I prayed it. And so, and that's we 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 use these evangelistic techniques that are foreign to Scripture. Um, and I think it's because there's this we don't really trust in the means that God has appointed. Um, I've just I, I was thinking about this earlier. How whenever we share the gospel with people, we it is rarely do we give a command. Yeah. When you look you look through the the evangelism, it's always repent and believe the gospel. It's, right. That is, it is a command. I'm telling you what you need to do. And what we do is, I want to give you an invitation. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to share. I want to share something. <laughs> and and yeah, that's fine. I mean, it, I'm not saying that that's wrong or bad. I'm just saying like it 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 is not the most accurate yeah. representation of what what evangelism means. And I'll give you another example. So. Talking to a guy in our church, you know, you know, what I'm talking about. He's a man in my church. Um, we were, I had lunch with him yesterday, and I was just like, man, like, so he's a newer believer. Yeah. He became a Christian, uh, I think February. Yeah. So we're at the it's November right now. So this is what was that nine months ago? Became a Christian in February. So nine months ago, um, he told me three years ago he was <laughs> three years ago he was like. Uh, doing handing out materials uh for like socialism yeah <laughs> uh, on college campus here and it was like totally communist marxist activist guy hmm. um and just had without hope without god in the world and um and so he was telling me that um the, a man from our church shared the gospel with him here's what he did he said uh so he had a mutual friend um so this non-believer guy has a good friend who invited one of the elders to come and have lunch with the guy. So our, the other elder, his name is Eric. He said, uh, the guy yesterday told me, say, Eric walks in and he has this huge uh, leather-bound ESV study Bible. Yeah. And, um, you know, that thing could kill him. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, yeah. These things are thick. In more ways than one. Yeah. And so he said, Eric came in, he put the Bible on the table and he said, all right, here's, here's, here's what I, here's my agenda. Um, you are lost without Jesus Christ, and you're going to go to hell if you don't repent and believe the gospel, and I want to tell you what you can do to avoid that outcome. And he proceeded to share the gospel with him, and this guy said, it was, it was refreshing yeah. that somebody said, okay, here's my agenda. Here's what I want to do. And I thought, you know, the, the way that we would be trained to do evangelism is, I'm, I want to spend the next nine months building a relationship right. with you. And if you did that, this man would still, still be, be under God's judgment right now. Yeah. But instead, Eric just said straight up, and of course, Eric, he's, he's a joyful man who just loves people, and you feel it when you're in his presence. He's like, I don't want you to go to hell, man. Yeah. I, I want you to know Jesus and just uh, with a smile on his face and a, you know, just an earnestness, share the gospel with him. And, that, and he said it, it, and he told me yesterday, he said, like, I'll, my grandchildren will know Eric's name, yeah, because this is the man that boldly shared the gospel with me, um, and now this guy is like fired up for Jesus, you know? yeah, and it's it's super exciting, um, and that's that that's whenever we deprive people of the 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 benefit of just clearly knowing what does God require of you, um, God requires you to repent and to believe the gospel, and if you do that and you demonstrate the fruit of repentance and obedience. 
then you can have reasonable assurance of your salvation. Um, and that's, we deprive people of that by trying to cloak yeah. and get cute with it. It is interesting. It is interesting to me that the response you'll get to people who will hear that story and not want to do it is something along the lines of, well, okay, okay, fine, but we're not supposed to be jerks about it. You get some kind of that version. That's funny to me because virtually no Christian in America is a jerk right now about their faith. Like, that's not our problem. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's always weird to me when somebody brings up the objection that is clearly not the problem of your day and place. How, how many of us are honestly in danger of being the belligerent, overbearing Christian evangelist? Well, we've None seen, of us. We've seen the TV shows that tell us, this is what we think of you Christians, and because that's... That's what we've absorbed from media. Well, we don't want to be the villain that yeah. the media presents us as. But I, I am telling you right now, I have been in probably 10 churches, three or four different not denominations and traditions in my life. I could count on one hand the number of Christians who are genuinely in danger of being the belligerent, mean evangelist guy. Whereas there are tens of thousands of Christians I've probably come across with or been in churches with who are squishy, terrified, yeah. And we'll never say anything about their faith. Like yeah, that that's sure. that's the middle of the bell curve. So we can't we can't be like, well, you know, here's why I never tell anybody about Jesus that directly. It's because I don't want to be a jerk. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know what? Be a jerk one time and then we'll worry about that. Yeah. That's funny. Well, there's in this truth script article, um, here's a question that they answer. Well, we can and kind of land the plane with these okay. with these points here. The question here is, what are the characteristics of the method of evangelism that has resulted in massive numbers of false converts and many apostates? And there are three that he suggests here. I'll read these and then get your response this way. Number one is, so, th- so what I'm telling you is evangelistic methods that lead to false converts rather than true converts. And false converts eventually will be apostate um, if, they, you know, if they decide to give up the charade. So this is how you create apostates. Number one, an inadequate understanding of the depravity of man. So on the part of the evangelist or the church or the preacher or whatever, you think that people are basically good and you, you have this naively optimistic view of, mm-hmm. of human sin and depravity. Touched by an angel, theology. <laughs> I never saw it. Just trust me. Take my word for it. I miss so many of your pop culture references. just because There are like two of our listeners who are just the right age and were raised in just the right Christian tradition. <laughs> Everyone else is like, I don't know what this guy's talking about. All right, number two, a, a method of evangelism that ignores or minimizes the need for conviction of sin. I think that's, that, that, that stands out to me because I don't really hear that very much. I hear you are a, I hear people will say, well, you're sinful. Right. You know, you know Romans 3.23, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Um, but for there to be a need of that, for it to be personalized and internalized to where I personally feel, uh, or sense a conviction of sin, then that's brought about by the Holy Spirit to where it's like, okay, I'm, I'm aware now that there's a holy God and I am a sinful man and I need his grace. Um, that is, that is rarely, from my experience, rarely presented in, um, it's really part of a gospel presentation. No, I'm, yeah, and I saw on Twitter not recently or not too long ago, uh, somebody somebody was interacting with something I'd said, and they were they said we don't want to be the uh, 
or, or I have seen Christians. Here's what he said. I have seen Christians. Uh, the, the majority of Christians are in people's faces yelling at them about their sin. And I just remember being like, what, where on earth do you live? I have never seen any, I, I honestly cannot remember at any place I've worked at where there were other Christians or any social circle I've ever been in with other Christians where anybody was like, you're a drunk. Mm-hmm. Like just that plain even, spoken. Yeah, but even that's not yelling. I, whenever I've, I've noticed this about the word yelling, um, getting yelled at is, it tells you more about the way the person feels about what they're hearing yeah. than the way the other person's actually speaking. Yeah. So if I go home today and I'm like, man, Wade was yelling at me at work today. Yeah. Um, that doesn't mean that you were actually yelling at me, although you do have a pretty loud, powerful, yeah, booming get, voice. But, yeah. but no, but it would mean more that Wade said some things I didn't like and might it hurt my feelings. And, it, and that's really what, whenever, because people don't, I don't know, I, I've, I'm hardly ever around people that are yelling. No, I like, mean, it's, yeah. It's not common. People like would actually yell at somebody, you're in sin, or like whatever, yeah. unless, they're, unless it's like some, Obnoxious, like they're both jackhammering or something, you know, and they're wearing like ear. Hey, I just want to tell you, Bill. <laughs> like, no, man, that doesn't happen. Yeah. All right, here's the third one: um, an approach to evangelism that makes a decision of the will of a man or woman. So, decision of one's will, the ultimate cause of salvation, rather than the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit. Right. I have let God save me. <laughs> Well, if if you believe, and the thing is, like the the belief in the sovereignty of God and converting sinners, and if you really believe, like, how does this happen? Um, that so, Wade and I believe um, as Calvinist doctrine that a, a a man or woman is saved because of the regenerate regeneration of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So the Holy Spirit regenerates them, and then that is what enables them to respond to the gospel yeah. whenever they hear it. So, and the regenerative regenerative work of the Spirit is operative in the preaching of the Word. Yep. So that gives us the freedom to to trust God in our proclamation of the gospel in whatever form it would take, in the break room or wherever. But it's just like we can we can speak directly about about the gospel. Mm-hmm. We can share the gospel directly knowing that and and that that is not to discount um, the use of you know normal normal human interactions. I'm still like, going to speak English. Yeah, I'm not like, going to get up in your face and spit on you. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, not going to yell at you. He uses means. God uses means. But in the end, only God can make you love God. That's right. Only God can take a dead man and make him alive. Yeah, I'll tell you a story. This just popped into my head when I was a student, uh, Marshall University, um, otherwise known as the Harvard. Of West Virginia. Nice. Um, West Virginia has no Harvard. I'm just going to let you know that now. Marshall is the Harvard of West Virginia. Nobody calls it that, but I still say it anyway. Okay. Um, we had, so we had this, uh, I was with Campus Crusades, a crew, and we invited this speaker to come in, and I was a student at the time. Um, and this preacher that came in, it was like somebody's like, oh, I know a guy. He's a, it's a preacher guy. He's fantastic. And we, it was like around Halloween time. And we're like, oh, we'll do something about demons. Nice. You know, nice. Satanism and stuff. Well, that all, and so we have rented out a space and we invited a bunch of students, did a bunch of advertising. So the night of the event came um, and all the students were there. And this is back during my, my winsome ways, oh, where yeah. like winsome was the only way to go. Um, and this guy comes up there and he was all the stereotypes of the guy that you would not want 
to speak on a college campus. Uh, uh, he was he was talking about uh, nakedness. <laughs> I remember he was talking about nice. like one evidence of demonic nice. activity is nakedness. People nice. being naked, you know. And we're just like, and so I we were I was so you were cringing. Out. I was cringing like crazy. And so there were me and several other leaders. We got up and we went into a back room and we started praying, Lord, <laughs> silence yeah. this man. Mm-hmm. Stop his words because he's going to do more harm. That was that foolish to think. Yeah. That um, this, that, that I've just, I was worried about it being coming worse. You were the guy praying against Jeremiah's faithfulness. <laughs> exactly. Now, I mean, the. The the guy, I mean, the guy was, uh, was it was just kind of weird. His presentation was weird. Right. But the, we, you know, after the event was over, and we're just like, kind of like, man, Lord, I hope that this didn't just set back yeah. the kingdom 50 years. Yeah. And we started going through the uh, little comment cards, whatever, and there was this one girl that um, said this was exactly what I need to hear. And wow. um, tonight I made the decision to Praise give God. my life to Christ. Uh, we followed up with her. She plugged into our ministry, um, got to know her really well. <laughs> and that woman is Sandy Patty. Or is it, what's the end of the... St- no, I'm just kidding. But praise God for her salvation, man. That's, that's all. Sandy, <laughs> Sandy Patty. Nobody knows who Sandy Patty is, Wade. Yeah. Some of our listeners are like, is that the kid on... Is that the little girl on Charlie Brown? No, that's Patty. Sandy Patty. Patty was Amy Grant before there was Amy Grant. Right. Yeah. So she's right. like... In a high, probably a higher range. Yeah, yeah. I'm more of a soprano. Either. Yeah, I think so. No, but I mean, that, that, praise God, that's awesome. And I mean, you've, you've seen that. Paul Washer, I think, is a more famous example that people might know of where you, you'll see Paul Washer preach or you'll see like, the, you know, especially the famous old one, I'm talking about you, that sermon. He comes he comes across as a pretty, you know, he's, he's like... Uh, intense. He's intense, but he's not a polished man. I mean, he, he's not, there's, there's nothing about him that it, Matt Chandler, you know, is mm-hmm. appealing. Paul Washer is not appealing to the to the your senses. Um, and yet his sermons do strike people in a very real way. And I think that God is sovereign. God will use whom God will use. And it doesn't mean that we just phone it in and don't care, uh, how we present ourselves. Yeah. But there is a sort of, like you said, a manipulative way of delivering the gospel as though everything hangs or falls on my I used to feel that way. Well, I needed to be Donald Miller. I used to feel in 2005 <laughs> that I needed to be Donald Miller. I needed to have the the most um, erudite, sophisticated way of telling somebody about Jesus. And if I didn't do that, then I was yeah. they were lost forever. I mean, Donald Miller, uh, he's a funny case to me because he was like the most ironic guy. Yeah. That would, uh, he was ironic. evangelicalism's Hawkeye Pierce. You know, he was just like... <laughs> Constantly, oh, sorry. I don't know who Hawkeye Pierce is. Mash reference, <laughs> but he was just—he was the—he was the the rebel, the sort of you know. He was like the edgy, cool guy. Yeah. Um, what I find interesting about him is that now his business is marketing. Yeah, I know. It's like he—he. He, so I'm like, okay, he—that was his skill, and so his. The thing that we might have taken back in the 2000s as his authenticity. Was really a he was marketing to this yeah. ironic niche of you know evangelical Christianity that wants something more transparent, vulnerable, and authentic. Yeah, um, but it's like no, you you were marketing, and that's effectively you did it well. Yeah. Well, um, you got any reasons uh, get reasons for hope to share here? Um, yeah, I suppose so. Um, no, I know I do. So ultimately, I guess they would be the same that John has in First John, which is. You're going to look around, Christian, and you're going to see uh, people that you once loved 
famous people in the case of musicians or authors or pastors uh, and, and, you know, regular folks in your church who leave the faith. And in that moment, I think the apostle who wrote 1 John is going to want you to know their false pretended Christianity is ultimately not a factor in your faith in Christ. It should grieve you, but they went out from us because they were not of us. Your reason for hope um, is your personal repentance and faith in the Lord. He truly was raised. He truly did procure your salvation. You truly do know him and love him. You truly are keeping his commandments. You truly are loving those who were redeemed by him. Uh, And so you don't need to lose sleep over what Derek Webb's apostasy or the lady in front of you at church, her apostasy means about you. You can grieve for that person, and you should, but ultimately your faith is in the Christ who saved you, not in the Christ they pretended to be saved by. Mm -hmm. That would be my main reason for hope. Amen. Well, that's a good note to end it on. Uh, Thanks a lot. Wait, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Current Reality Podcast. Send us any feedback to currentrealitypodcast at gmail.com. If you found this episode helpful, consider leaving us a five-star review and sharing it with a friend. And for more information about the King's Domain Gendered Virtue Men and Women Who Take Dominion conference in April of next year, check the link in the show notes. See you next time.